Amen. Amen. Go ahead, have a seat. My name is Ken. I get to be the campus pastor here, which is the best job on the planet. Uh, if you're here for the first, second, or third time, and all that is new information to you, I'd love it if you took a minute and filled this out. And then at the end of the service, uh, those doors are going to open, and we've got a gift for you at our info table, which is right out there. It'd take a super hard left, and there you'll find stuff you can eat as you head to the car. So uh, I've been here at Sunnyside for about four, and, four years and change now. Before that, I was the youth pastor at our main campus. And you know whenever I tell a story about student ministry days, it's either going to be a really touching emotional story or it's a disaster. And you don't, touch, you don't tell touching emotional stories at the beginning of the message. You save those to the end. So uh, the Thursday before Thanksgiving, or the Wednesday now based on this schedule, uh, we would do a big night, which is the night where high schools and junior hires, this is the night that you invite your friends who don't care about Jesus, who don't know Jesus, because they're going to have fun. And so what we decided we could do for very little money and maximum effectiveness was cover every single exit light in the 30,000 square foot facility at main campus take out all of the light bulbs that have to be on for fire and whatever, turn everything else off and play hide and go seek in the dark with high schoolers for an hour. Because it's free. Like, let's be honest. It's amazing. So one year we did that. And we're thinking like each year, how can we make this a little bit better? How can we make it a little bit better? And so this latest year... And if you wonder, like, why did he spend 13 years in student ministries before he came here? It's because that's where I got all my bad ideas out. So uh, one year we decided... We're going to hide candy around the church. And part of what we're going to do is we're going to have leaders just kind of hidden throughout the building uh, with flashlights to check what happens when boys and girls are playing in the dark. Uh, but also, they're going to have buckets of candy. And then, so we'll have three leaders doing that. And we're also going to have three buckets filled with candy. But we're going to put the candy at the bottom. And on the top, we're going to put noodles, like spaghetti noodles. So it's kind of like you got to reach in and get, like, reach through the brains and the eyeballs and stuff. But once you get all that stuff past your hands, you get to get candy. And if you're the first one to find it, like there's not even a sign that says, please be nice and take one. Like seriously, just dump that into your bag. Like you found it. Finders keepers. This is America, right? <laughs> what I forgot, and if you have little kids, you know this is true. From the moment they can grab stuff, every single kid's life is a food fight. They're just looking for ammunition. Right? So we've got buckets of wet pasta in the dark, limited supervision, and lots of kids who are already a little bit hyped up and amped up. This was a terrible idea because the thing that I overlooked was the fact that everything has a potential to be thrown. And once it's thrown, everything has a potential to be ground into the carpet at mom and dad's house with the lights off as everybody is screaming and running around as they get hit in the face with more pasta. <laughs> At the end of this, we turned on the lights, and I looked at some of my volunteers and said, I got to go up and preach. Can you solve this so I don't get fired? <laughs> and they said, yeah, we'll take care of it. Because they knew they were going to get a fat gift card the next morning. Uh, you know, there are certain sentences you shouldn't say, and one of them is calling the guy at church who cleans carpets at 9.30 at night saying, how quickly can you make this thing disappear? Like, that's not a good sentence. That's a sentence that I had to say. And of course, by Sunday, everything was awesome. But there are big moments in our lives where little things get totally overlooked and they turn into other big bad moments. That was a moment. The moment of overlooking the fact that life is just a food fight waiting for 
ammunition to happen for high schoolers and junior hires. That was something that got overlooked. And because it got overlooked, there was a number of things that happened. Today, we're looking at a passage that I think is totally overlooked. Like going into this week, we've got the printout at the beginning of September, what we're printing, what we're preaching for September, October, November. And I looked at this, and I looked at this week, and I just thought... Well, there's nothing there. So I have no clue what we're preaching for this week. And I even started reading up on it. And one of the guys who I read, because the past few weeks, we talked about big things. We talked about the death of Jesus. We talked about the resurrection of Jesus. We talked about the mission of Jesus. Like those are huge things. And we get to what we're talking about today. And the guy says, yeah, compared to the death and the resurrection of Jesus, this isn't really that big of a thing. So I'm like, sweet, this guy is speaking my language. Today, we're going to talk about something that if we overlook it, we miss out on great things that Jesus has for you and me. Today, we're going to talk about the ascension of Jesus. So how this works out in the plan is that Jesus comes into the world. It's those three words that we all use, but never together. The incarnation, where Jesus becomes a human, is born of a woman in a very scientific way because God created science and God values life from conception. Jesus is born into the world because God has a huge ability to become really, really small and address the stuff in our life that matters. If we think it only matters to us, God says it matters to me. How, do you, how can you tell? Because I took on flesh. I'm really big, got really small to impact your world. And so Jesus goes around and he teaches and he does miracles and, and he lives as God, which means that he's gonna rub some people the wrong way. And so the authorities get mad. They killed Jesus, which was completely by God's plan because Jesus was gonna die for our sins and then he was gonna rise again to defeat the power of the devil, the power of sin over your life and mine. And he's gonna walk out of his own grave. And so that's the message of Christianity is that we don't believe in hope. We don't just believe in Jesus. We believe in an event that God came into the world as a human, died, and then rose again and walked out of his grave. That's the moment of our faith is when Jesus walked out of the grave. He gives us faith for today and for every day and for the last 2,000 years that God is on the move. God saves people and that can be us. And after 40 days of him doing that, we get to the ascension. It's the thing that gets forgotten. It's the thing that, that we look over. And so we're going to read Matthew 16, verses 15 to 20. And, not Matthew, Mark. And Mark uh, was a guy who hung out with another guy named Peter. You read the stories of Jesus, and Peter is always there. And so Peter is telling Mark everything that he saw, everything that he experienced. And this is what Peter says about 40 days after Jesus' resurrection. He says, and then Jesus told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. And anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name and they will speak new languages. They will be able to handle snakes with safety. And if they drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. They will be able to place their hands on the sick and they will be healed. When the Lord Jesus had finished talking with them, he was taken up into heaven and sat down at the place of honor at God's right hand. And the disciples went everywhere and preached, and the Lord worked through them, confirming what they said by many miraculous signs. So right here, right here, what happens is that Jesus, after living on earth, just like us, ascends back into heaven, floats up to heaven, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. What that means is that Jesus goes from earth, living like people like us who get tired, who get hungry, who get hurt. Now he sits in heaven at a place of authority. 
And from there, he's able to globalize what he had done in a small portion of a small country on the other side of the planet. At this moment, the Jesus mission, the story about Jesus changing lives, goes from Palestine and begins to work its way across the planet. And 2,000 years later, we're here. So what are the things that we overlook in here that change things for us, that, that get us excited, that, that should still change the way that we live? And we're going to talk about a few ways where that's going to happen. The first way is that the ascension showed everyone that Jesus's mission was complete. It was complete. It was done. His teaching, you know, that Jesus putting on skin and living as God among us, he gave us a flesh and blood picture of how God treats people. He gives us an understanding of, of if God was really walking in your shoes, because he did, how would he deal with your annoying neighbor? Well, Jesus gives us a picture of that. How would Jesus handle money? Or how would God handle money? Jesus gives us a picture. How would God handle sex? Jesus gives us a picture of that. And so the ascension showed that every one of Jesus' missions was complete. His mission to die, to absorb the wrath of God so that we could have right standing with God was complete. His mission to rise from the dead, to tell everyone on heaven and earth and under the earth that Jesus now holds the keys to death and the grave. That death was not going to conquer Jesus, but Jesus was going to conquer death. That being seen by hundreds of people post-resurrection to validate the resurrection, that mission is also complete. Everything that Jesus set out to do was done, which means that for you and me to have a relationship with God, Jesus has already done his part. Jesus died on the cross so that our sins that we've spent a lifetime accumulating before God can be forgiven. Jesus died on the cross so that we can have a relationship with God that's not blocked by who we are and by sin. Jesus rose from the dead to show us in every single way that there's newness of life that can be had through him. That the phrase that we, used to, that we love to use here is that you and I can have a past life because of who Jesus is. Things change because of Jesus' activity and Jesus' role and Jesus' mission, which he accomplished. His human things are done, but there's also some things that are undone. One of the things that all of Jesus' followers expected him to do was that he's going to come back, he's going to change everything, he's going to do it with a sword with a Roman head on the end of it. Like their plan is that Jesus coming into the world, he was going to wipe out the Romans and the Israel community, the Israeli nation was going to be number one again. And that didn't happen. Even the day up to the day where he ascended, they're still asking him, Jesus, when are you going to come back? When are you going to wipe out the Romans? When are we going to be number one again? And Jesus keeps dodging the question. And the reason that that matters now is because what Jesus does in that moment is he puts a death to nationalism that matters in our heart any point beyond the fact that we pray for America because we live in America. If you grew up in Mexico, you pray for Mexico because you lived in Mexico. If you live in Myanmar, you pray for Myanmar because you live in Myanmar. Is there any type of hierarchy because one nation is better and Jesus won for that nation? No. Which also means there's not one people group that's better. Jesus is saying, I'm going up to heaven so I can run the world there because that's where spiritual things happen. And we're not having a race to see whose nation is the best. If you have a pulse and your blood is red, that means you're my people. And so as we look around, we see eyes we, we see with eyes given over to Jesus to see all races, all ethnicities is the same. 
Because our God wasn't colorblind, our God wasn't nationalistic. And so when the spirit of our God moves into our heart, part of us stepping into the way that Jesus created us to live is we love our neighbor as ourselves, regardless of what language they speak, regardless of what flag flies in their heart or in their country. This sentence showed us that Jesus' mission was complete and the things that he didn't touch, we don't have to touch. We step into living the way that Jesus lived. The ascension also showed everyone that it's our time to go. It's our time to go. The ascension is an event. His life is an event that calls out a response, that calls out for you and me to live in a certain way. And so Jesus describes it. He says, what is it going to look like? He says, you're going to go everywhere. You're going to tell everybody the good news. And then those who believe are going to be baptized. Belief is the first step here. Belief in the fact that Jesus walked out of his grave, that his death did mean something. It wasn't just a death for death's sake. It was a death for our sake, that he died in our place for our sin, for relationship with us. And then he walked out of his own grave as a way to prove that it meant something. We believe that. We ask Jesus to come into our life, to take over control of our life. And then our next step is baptism. It's believe and then baptize him. And for us as a church, that's how we shape what it is to be in here. What it is for us to say yes to membership, for us to say, I am part of this group, is baptism. And we do that after belief. I'm going to say two things. One is if you're here, you're an adult, and you've never been baptized, or you're just out of eighth grade, and you've never been baptized, next month is the time to get baptized. Only if you're a follower of Jesus. We do belief first. This is that moment at the end of every service. If you're here, you know what to expect. If you're not here, I'm going to give you, or if you're not new, I'm going to give you a chance at the end of the service to say yes to Jesus. What you're saying is, man, I realize that God loves me. I realize that I am a sinner by nature and by decision that everything in me is bent towards sin. But Jesus came into the world to forgive me of my sin, to give me what the Holy Spirit so I can live a different way. And now I'm making the decision to put my faith in Jesus. I'm going to give you that chance at the end of the day today. And after that moment, your next step is baptism. For some of you, you grew up and the things were different. You grew up and you were told that you were baptized when you were a baby. And in that system, your parents are making the best decision for you that they can with the knowledge that they have. They're probably making the decision for you that they were brought up in themselves. So they're doing what, come, what came natural to them, just like all of us parent the way that what comes natural to us. But you're different because you're here. And you hear week after week that God loves you, that sin separates you, that Jesus rescues you, and that we get to make a decision about how that affects us. And the first outward sign of that decision taking root in your heart and mind is baptism. Jesus says it right there. You're going to go everywhere. You're going to tell the good news. And those who believe will be baptized. Those who believe, believe baptism follows belief. It's the way that we interpret the New Testament because it's the way that baptism is laid out through the New Testament. So if that's you, what do I do? I'm, I'm free in November. I'd love to have so many baptisms in November that we have to space it out and do it different weeks. But I'm thinking the 14th and the 21st, we'll do a baptism out there. It'll be awesome. You're interested in that? Stop by the welcome table on your way out. We'll take down your name, we'll number, and somebody will get in touch with you this week to get you locked and loaded for baptism. Why? Because it's believe and then baptism. And what happens after that? 
What happens after that is that we go. Now we get the chance to do this. Jesus going to heaven, what it does is it mobilizes his people to go into the world and tell everybody about who he is. So in your bulletins, there's a little card that says top 10 list. And it's not to write down your jokes and pretend that you're David Letterman. This is your moment to say, who around me in my life needs to know about Jesus? Why? Because this is our moment to go. Jesus ascending to heaven is telling his 11 disciples, hey, go. Go into the world. Tell everybody about me and you're going to see amazing things happen. So this frees us to live a different way. This frees us to live on mission. And that frees us to individually invest in people's lives. And the way that it's separated there, it starts at 10, like at the bottom 10, works its way up. And then the top three are a little bit separated because nobody, none of us can realistically, like in a quality way, invest in 10 people's lives that don't know Jesus. So it's saying pick three. For some of you, this is going to be your young kids who haven't yet said yes to Jesus. And for those of us who are parents, our first area, our epicenter of discipleship is to raise up the non-Christians who live in our home and call us mom and dad. And so as a church, we're behind you as every way as possible to do that. Right now, there are people teaching in kids' church because they're excited about telling the next generation about who Jesus is. And as parents, that's how we lean into this is for our kids to know Jesus and to walk with him every day of their lives. And that's how the church is supposed to work. I think this is one of those moments where we can overlook and get comfortable with the fact that everything is good for our family and so we don't need to look outwards and look at anyone else. The church exists. It's grown and moved in everything for 2,000 years because we are more consumed and more excited about the people that we don't know and who don't care about this place meeting Jesus. One of the numbers we throw around all the time is there's 66,000 people in our, congre- our city council district here around Southeast Fresno that do not care about this place. 66,000 people who don't care about this place. Last week, we had 170 people, which means we have 65,830 people left to go, right? That's our number, 65,830 people left to go that live around this place who don't care about this place, but we want them to meet Jesus in this place. Or, you know, we also love Pastor Steve across the street. So he'll take some, we'll take some, and the other churches in the area, well, I'll take something. But as churches in this area, we're going after that number, 65,830 people. And it's really easy to get really comfortable and miss that fact. It's starting to get cold out, uh, which means every morning I look to see what the temperature is because based on the temperature, I've got like a metric in my head about uh, what running clothes will look like. And as I'm out running and stuff, uh, I see lots of people wearing lots of cozy things. So this is super comfortable. My kids said, that is so ugly. I never want you to wear that to pick me up. So I was helping my parents move a little while ago and uh, dad had grown out of this in the nicest way possible. And he said, do you want this? Because I left Fresno to go down to SoCal to help my parents move and nobody brings a sweatshirt because it's September in Fresno. The only time you need a sweatshirt is if you need a boost in a car. So I got this and it was super comfortable and I brought it home and like everyone in the family, except for Micah, because he's seven, he doesn't care about stuff just kind of gave me the side eye and the lean back and they're like you're never wearing that I'm like but it's comfortable and they still said never ever never pick me up in that I will walk home that's what the girl said but it's comfortable so I'm running in the morning and I see people who wear stuff like this but you know not the thing at the bottom but they're dressed for comfort under that they got more comfort they got like 
track pants. Like these things are awesome. They're comfortable. You can walk and move and stuff like that. And it's not going to like brush up against your feet and stuff. What am I doing? These babies. The reason is, is because it's dark and none of y'all can see me. But the second reason is there's something better than comfort to go after. The more decisions in your life and mine that we make based on comfort, the more things we're going to miss out on. For me, I'm not out in the morning because I want to be comfortable. I'm out in the morning so I can eat how I want because I just ran five miles. Um, That's right, amen. But, (laughs) But I'm out because I got a job to do. I want to stay healthy. I want to run. I've got times that I want to hit in my workouts, just like you have stuff in your workouts that you want to hit. And so that means that we push beyond comfort. And for us to go means that we push beyond what's comfortable. Thanksgiving is coming up. We're going to do a big lunch here. And my goal for us for that, you can put it on the screen, uh, is a couple things. One is that uh, we help out, like across the board. So this year is going to be different for us because we have a kitchen. It works. It's beautiful. And every year up to this point, we've always borrowed food from mom and dad at main campus, and people bring it down because somebody else cooked it. This year, uh, we're excited. We're cutting ourselves off. Uh, so we're going to do the meal in the kitchen. And uh, one of our people, who uh, Chong Yang, who used to run hospitality when we were at Sunnyside, and it was just a few uh, like pots of coffee and stuff, now... This is, she's like taking the ski jump into managing meals and stuff. And so I called her this week and asked her, hey, can you run the meal? She said, absolutely. How soon can you start recruiting stuff for me? I said, oh, Sunday. So yeah, it's Sunday now. We need 15 turkeys and we need people who are going to be dedicated and work as a team and do a great job to pull off the meal. And the reason that we're doing a meal is because while people are eating the meal and sitting at tables, they're going to talk to people. And they're going to engage in conversation. Church is going to go beyond, walk in, sit down, hear about Jesus, sing some songs, and then leave. We're funding, we're putting in a place for people to build relationships, for people to have conversations, for people to find out that Christians like you, for those of you in here who are Jesus followers, are really amazing, normal people. And you're worth getting to know. And so we're going to do a meal. And this is our first time doing something like this here. And the kitchen, we'll know on the 22nd, but it's probably not big enough to do it. But this is something for us to dive into. This is a risk worth taking. And it's worth taking because as a body, we're going to make this work. Do we have somebody leading it? Yes, one person's leading it. But the other 169 of us are going to make it happen. So you've got the thing on your chairs. We need help set up, tear down. Purchasing, providing, baking, and then dropping off on the 15th turkeys that are cooked and in plastic bags ready to go. We'll get you information about that, all that stuff. We need, as a church, we're going to step into this. And the reason we're going to step into it is because it's going to be a catalytic event for people to come and meet Jesus. So as a church, we're providing a meal that's going to keep people around to talk and to get to know you. And then they're going to come back and they're going to meet Jesus or they're going to meet Jesus that day. We're leaning into that. The second way that we lean in is to bring people with us on that day and the days before then. And my point for us in this, like the shorts, is we're not going to bring people with us that are comfortable. We're going to look around us and say, okay, who are the people that I need to invite because they need to meet Jesus? Who are the people around me that nobody else is even thinking about them becoming a Christian, but God, you've put them on my heart 
and you're going to send me into their lives to bring them to church on the 14th or the 21st or any date. We're just picking this one in specific because they need to meet you. Two days later, we're going to do a kid's sports camp. Uh, the high schoolers and junior hires are going to run it, uh, and we're going to pitch in as we are able to because it's in the middle of the work day, the middle of the work week, but everybody's home from school, which means Monday they will spend annoying and terrorizing their parents. Tuesday, the parents will drop them off here, and it's going to be great. We've advertised it throughout a bunch of the elementary schools around here. And I was thinking about this for Micah because he's the only one young enough to go to the camp. Everybody else is going to be working the camp. But I thought, who would it be good for Micah to bring? Because the kids right now are getting their flyers uh, in church, and it's, it's cool. They're getting them like two copies of this on the same paper, and there's a perforated line down the middle, because one copy is for Micah, and one copy is for Micah to tear off and give to a friend. So I thought, well, who would it be easy for Micah to bring? Like, Micah should just bring Will, the kid who goes to the Baptist church who lives across the street from us. That'd be great. Like, he could bring, that'd be easy. That's not the point. Micah shouldn't bring Will. Micah should bring the kid down the street who has pictures of women. His dad has pictures of women hung up in the garage, so I walk by the house like this. Not like that, like obviously, but just kind of like, yeah. Micah should bring that kid because that kid needs to know Jesus. And I'm going to bring his dad two days before. I'm going to invite them now instead of my like standard, okay, I, I think Wednesday is the best day to invite. And then Wednesday blows up and it's like, ooh, Thursday is too late. I don't think I can invite Mike this time. I, I need to wait till next time. But this is our day to step in. This is our time to go. This is our time as a church to say, okay, we are not caring about the 100 whatever in here. We're going to care about the 65,830 people who don't yet know about Jesus. Jesus left heaven or left earth back to heaven to mobilize his people to go. The ascension is our time to go. And the ascension also showed everyone Jesus loves us and he empowers us to live the mission. The ascension shows everyone Jesus loves us and empowers us to live the mission. That paragraph in there about snakes and spiders and poison and door-to-door people and you know all that, that's, that shows us Jesus' love for us. He's sending us out into the world to make a difference, to live on mission. And he's not saying, ooh, good luck. That's gonna be a mess. He's saying, I'm going to go with you and I'm going to walk with you every step of the way. And you're going to see me provide for you as you live the mission. I think if, if we put, take Jesus and put him in tonight, what's going to happen tonight? Is Jesus there as we're going out, trying to do this stuff, trying to get people around here to meet Jesus and people who don't care about this place to, to have this place be where they meet Jesus? And if he's at home tonight, is he going to turn off his lights? Is he going to put a bucket of candy outside? It's, it's the crappy stuff. It's not even the good stuff with chocolate in it. It's the bad stuff. And he puts a sign that says, please take one. And then he turns off every other light and he's like in the back of the house, just pretending that nobody knows that he's there. And he's just huddled in the corner. He's trying to get through until like all saints day tomorrow where he can be happy again. Is that what Jesus is doing? I don't think so. What he does and what the ascension shows us is if you put Jesus in trick-or-treat land, He's the father behind the kid who has no clue what's going on, but is excited about the prospect of getting candy. And you'll see this at your house. There's a dad or the mom or the uncle or the grandpa who's just pushing the kid forward. Okay, all right, now ring the doorbell. Good, good, good. Now they open the door and the kid just stands there with his bag. And the parent says, hey, say trick or treat. The kid says, trick or treat. And then he gets candy and he's so excited. And the parent says, say thank you. And so the kid says, thank you. And then he waddles back to the curb. Like, that's the role that Jesus would play. That's the role that he plays for us. 
He's put us on this place, like we said last week, on mission. You're here, your address, the job where you are, the school where you're at, where your classes are, who you sit next to, all that stuff was planned by a God who sees you, knows you, and sends you out because he's gonna use you to make a difference. Well, you don't understand, everybody's hostile. Yes, I know, and that's why I sent you into their lives because I put you there on purpose. And that's where the spirit meets us. That's where Jesus meets us and empowers us to live for him. The ascension shows us that. It shows that his work is done, that our work has begun. And as we do that, as we follow him, we're gonna meet the presence and the power of his spirit guiding us and leading us through each day. Let's stand and pray.